Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhose and tricks. thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our friends at Armchair All-Americans and our good buddies over at mybookie.ag. Gambling's a lot of fun, sports are a lot of fun, when you put those two together, it's a whole lot of fun. Mybookie.ag is the number one place to go for all of your online needs, so you don't have to drive to Vegas to get in some game action. All the best lines, uh, all, all the easiest ones to find, all the best prop bets, mybookie.ag has you covered. Whether you're betting the NBA Finals, whether you wanted to put money on the Blues, winning a Stanley Cup back when they still had the worst record in all of hockey and changed to coach. If you wanted to bet that Ronald Acuna would hit a walk-off homer last night, you wouldn't have won that bet, but it's a pretty good bet normally. Mybookie.ag has all of those lines for you. Their customer service is second to none. If you ever have any sort of questions about a line, they are there to help you. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match on your initial deposit, which means when you sign up, if you sign up with that promo code, you put in 100 bucks, they're going to give you an extra 50 to play with. It's real money, folks. It's good money right there. Mybookie.ag. Play, win, and have a great time. All right, so this is... An interesting guest for the show today. It's probably the first one we've had that hasn't been, you know, one of our friends or directly associated with with some sort of uh, like a, a reporter or somebody with a team. Um, that said, this may be the coolest guest we've had on the show. It's Rob Friedman, or more colloquially known as the Pitching Ninja. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. That's a big setup, man. That's uh, I'm gonna have a hard time living up to that. <laughs> I mean, we have, uh, ever since we started, you know, we started the, at the start of last season, and I would estimate that we have 
name drop you anywhere between 50 and 100 times. So, I mean, this is this is really cool for you taking the uh, taking the time to, to come on. You kind of, from what I can tell, you kind of came out of nowhere and just became like a, would you call yourself an overnight sensation? I don't know if that's fair, but uh, I, I, I've been doing at least the Twitter thing for a while. Um, I think it got more and more, it kind of snowballed. It got more and more popular um, kind of as, as time went on. But I'd been on Twitter for a while, for like five years, because I I'd originally, uh, and we can get into it now or later, but I originally just decided to share some knowledge that I'd gathered while uh, while coaching and bringing up a kid and 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 all that because I'm kind of anal about learning everything. So I started out from a coaching aspect and then uh, obviously making the game look cool for fans and all that stuff uh, and players became important as well. And really over that last about year to year and a half, you've gone from a fun account to being like the number one account on Twitter. (laughs) It is is kind of funny. I mean, I think that that – a lot of that happened along uh, about the same time where there was that whole big thing with uh, with MLB, which helps yeah, well, it up a little bit. Most of the time, when when people will fight uh, fight some type of multinational, some type of corporation like that, it's uh, I fought the law and the law won. But I mean, in your case, you you won. You came out victorious, and uh, you know, like you said, that was kind of like a big a big thing, uh, promotion for you. A lot of people who hadn't heard of you before. I mean, I think that kind of thrust you into the limelight. It's funny. Cause I, I obviously it didn't happen as a promotion. It happened as a, just a, a simple, one of those usual internet brawls that spiraled out of control. And, uh, and you know, I, I probably would have been fine either way with the way it turned out, but I had a feeling it would turn out pretty good for me when it happened. Um, I wasn't really that, that worried about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely helped. Um, and it definitely, I think it helped the the game itself. The bigger thing was, uh, I, I think baseball started to realize what was good for the brand and, um, and came to the right conclusion, which isn't always the case with large companies. A lot of companies make bad decisions. I, I think that they made a good one, uh, which is, hey, this this account, what I'm trying to do is bring more fans to the game, uh, make players rally around pitching, and and teach. So have a whole other generation of folks that are, are, are learning the game, but not learning it by somebody who is just beating them over the head with boring minutiae, making it exciting and fun. And I think they realized that, and they realized it pretty quickly, and, uh, and kind of reversed course, which, uh, yeah, I mean, it was really cool. And and I'm glad they made that decision. But again, I would have had a lot more hours in my day if if they if they would have reached the other conclusion. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been <laughs> following a lot of time, dude. I, I can only imagine. I've been following around with what you do for a while, like your uh, your gift drop your Dropbox that has all the pitching gifts. Yep, that one's always yep. been fun. But it really it really kind of transformed when you started putting like the the tails and the overlays uh, and the butterfly for the Anibal Sanchez curveballs. Uh, <laughs> right. When you started doing that, did you just say, ah, screw it, I'm just going to have a ton of fun now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot – so the, the, the original thing was limited. So when I, when I started out, it was mostly about coaching, helping parents and coaches explain stuff to kids, so really breaking down mechanics, breaking down pitch grips, 
breaking, breaking down movement. And then it became more of MLB guys were, were loving it and saying, Hey, when I get highlighted, people, you know, love it. And, and I get more fans. So they started wanting to get mentioned and it became, so I get bored pretty easily too. And I want to constantly do different things. And you'll notice that like things will, will, will uh, transform over time. A lot of it is just cause I sit there and go, what would be a better way of showing this type of thing that I'm trying to show? Um, and I'm still amazed at what pitchers can do. So anything I can do to make it more interesting is what I'm, what I'm trying to do. And then occasionally do something just, that's just, uh, stupid because that's the way my mind works like like putting a butterfly on something or a 69 joke which i'm never too old to do well and it's not just the pitchers too because you've you've got the the umpires getting in and on it it's uh tom hallion with the tornado and uh it's john tumpane he's he's the the ump that looks like he's stabbing people like i've seen you put the little blood spurts i mean it's it's hilarious it's not just about baseball Hey, umpires are people too. We can sometimes forget that, but uh, I have no idea if they pay any attention to any of this. But um, yeah, some of those guys are are, are pretty darn funny, and uh, I, I got to say, I'm a big Hallion and Tumpane fan. From uh, and I hope I'm getting them fans. I hope people are sitting there going, "Oh, awesome! Tumpane's calling a game behind the plates. So I'm going to see someone get killed. It would be uh, it's 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 great." The best thing for Tumpane is the fact that without you, nobody would know his name. That means he does his job really I, I, well. All right, so literally this dude, I mean, and, and you're 100% right, and the unfortunate thing is that dude has actually saved somebody's life. Um, I forgot the full story, but he is a, a, like a real live hero, so to make him out to be a serial killer is, is kind of ironic. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, he really has gone in while he was an umpire and saved somebody's life. Really? Yeah, see, so we're learning more about the hero, John Tempain. Um yeah, it was like the, that was the only other thing he was known for before he started stabbing people. Maybe it's a kind of retribution thing. I'm just saying that's, that's a really cool thing. from edge of Roberto Clemente Bridge. He talks someone down. Wow. I'm um, a bridge jumper, yeah. So that's really cool. So n- now you don't have to just know an umpire because they're horrible like Angel Hernandez or because they like, right. to, they like to throw people like Joe West. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you can learn different aspects of their, of their personality and, and – so when I'm watching games, I mean, obviously the pitcher's the thing I, I focus on most, um, but sometimes the umpires have, have unique characters. And it's better if they're not a unique character because they're throwing people out or because they're just general dicks, like uh, <laughs> an incompetent boob, like Hernandez, who, uh, I mean, he, I, I don't get that, dude. But uh, most of the guys that are having fun or have a unique style, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in for that. I think most fans are. So how, mu- how much of this is, is you sitting down and watching all the time? And how much of it kind of do you have people just sending stuff to you and saying, hey, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but you definitely need to do something with this? Is, is your account kind of generating its own content now? A little bit. Um, I would say it's probably 5% of that. So I'll see in my notifications that somebody says, hey, you know, so-and-so did this or there was a sword here. Um, go back and, 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 and do it. And I'll generally look, especially if multiple people mention it, I'll be like, all right, I got to do something. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, there's certain pictures that I'll, that I'll follow more than others. There's certain ones where I'll see they had a really good game and trying to figure out why they had a good game. Um, so it's, it's, 
there's an art to it. It's less of a science and it's a lot of watching baseball. So when I'm talking about not having a lot of hours in my day to do other stuff, generally every night I'm, I'm there watching, going back and forth between games to see who just struck out, why they struck out. Is it an interesting one or is it just, I, I try to not post, you know, run of the mill boring crap because then all I get is, is, Oh, that was a, you know, that was a crappy pitch or but I, I, I'd rather do something unique and interesting and, that's where the overlays came from. So there are a lot of boring pitches that people strike out on uh, or, or pitches that look like they're not good pitches, but in context, you can see why they're a good pitch. So that's all I'm trying to do with that is trying to give more background to what actually went on there and what the brilliance of that pitch sequence was um, and why the hitter might've done something stupid. So all the fans are yelling at him like, why do you swing? Why do you swing at that pitch? Well, now I can kind of tell you why they did and maybe fans will be smarter because it always kills me when fans are heckling players and yelling at them from youth baseball on up. Like the player doesn't know that he shouldn't swing at a pitch that's five feet out of the zone. Really? You just, I mean, it's, come on, man. They're, they're, they're there for a reason. They're getting paid a lot of money. You're getting paid nothing to watch the game. Um, there's a reason they did that. So the, the key is then to show that and also help pitchers then use that to their advantage and say, oh, if I combine these two pitches – Maybe I can do what what this guy did. Well, as somebody that didn't get past the college level of playing, I I love the overlays more than just about anything else because you're right. You get a ton of people talking, oh, how do you swing at that slider that's three feet out of the zone? But what, what they don't realize is the two-seamer that broke a full foot and a half yeah. the previous pitch, and they start the same way. Like when you watch – when you have Kyle Hendricks on there a lot, he's great at tunneling pitches, and every pitch seems to start at the same place. Or Jordan yep. Hicks, who – it's it's really not fair that Jordan Hicks can throw a sinker that moves a full foot and throw it 105 mile an hour. They should just let him throw. He needs to pick one pitch for each at bat. Let him throw either a sinker or a slider, and then you have to stick with that for that at bat. That might make it fair for uh, for Jordan Hicks, but still, some people hit him. I mean, and generally, it's when he's. I mean, I've seen games where everything's flat, and that's that's his problem. Because even throwing 100, if it's totally uh, flat and you're not elevating or trying to do something, you're trying to throw it by people that could still cause, cause problems. The beauty of Hendricks is he gets by with not a lot of velocity, but you can see what he does. I mean, he's, he's brilliant at disguising pitches. He's got a ton of movement that most ordinary people like, Oh, I can throw 89 and, and all you have to do is throw 89 and hit spots. Well, that's not what he does. He throws, he throws yeah, 87 to 89 with crazy movement and can make the ball move either way and has a changeup that can go either way too and it has a has a, a pretty nasty curveball now and can elevate a four seam. So he's got a lot of ways to get you out. Um, it's not something that you can necessarily teach everybody to do and command isn't any easier to obtain than anything else. So people think that they that just because he looks like a regular guy and doesn't throw hard, everybody can do it and they really can't. Plus, no, the hell they can't just walk up on a mountain and throw eighty nine. It's a lot. It doesn't right, seem like right. it, it doesn't seem like a lot. It's not that easy, right? But it seems like everybody throws ninety five. It's not easy to throw eighty six if you've never done it before. That is a lot that goes into that. It's not just rearing back and throwing as hard as you can. Right, and so I coach high school baseball too. And if you knew how few people actually can throw that, and guys that are good athletes and big dudes that don't throw that hard, um, and how much effort you really have to use for most folks to to hit 90 i mean most number one most folks can't but the ones that do it's usually close to full effort so when you see somebody doing that 
um, they're throwing the they're they're throwing hard, and then it, to be able to spot those up, it's just it's just not that easy. No, I top I hit I topped out at ninety four in a showcase when I was sixteen. Uh, thought my arm was going to explode, and it was right. <laughs> nowhere near a strike. It was literally just let me see what I can top it at, and I was strutting for like three months, strutting my stuff, smelling myself a little bit. Oh hell, you should be. I mean, ninety four. Not a lot of people hit. I mean, it's that's uh, that's bottom line is you'll get a lot of looks at that at that velocity too in a showcase. I mean, everybody wants somebody that throws hard because when you when you're recruiting kids or when you're scouting kids, um, no one's going to get shot for throwing for bringing in a kid that throws really hard. Uh, they're not going to say, "Oh, he didn't pan out," but you know, you made a mistake. They're going to say, "Oh, well, it was on him." Uh, if the scout or recruiter brings in somebody that doesn't throw hard and says, "No, he's really he's really good at pitching." Um, he's got great stuff. That's your judgment. It's not the radar gun's judgment. So now if he doesn't pan out, your head's on the chopping block because you just brought in somebody who you said could pitch, and he can't. And in so a showcase, it's, it's, by the way, in, in a showcase setup, you don't have a lot of time to impress people. There's so many other people there where you get like right. three swings and they start you off on a 3-2 count where you don't want to swing at a garbage pitch. You have to hope that the guy – on the mound decides to actually give you something to hit. It's, it's a weird experience, which is why I kind of wanted to yep. segue. When you started the flat ground app, that's kind of like the, the first thing that I decided that you were like my, one of my favorite Twitter people ever. The flat <laughs> ground app might be the greatest thing to happen to baseball ever. And I'm, I'm actually serious on that just from the fact that it wasn't there when I was in high school and you're sending out highlight clips of yourself, especially if you're at a small school or a new school, you're not one of these traditional powerhouse programs. To, to be able to have something like that where you can put it up and millions of people can see it, you see how many people are, are, are putting them up on, on the, the, the Pitching Ninja and the Flat Ground app, and all of a sudden they're getting offers from these schools that would have never seen these guys or these kids would have never thought to send a video to. That, to me, has, has totally changed the game. I, I, I am as equally or more proud of that than I was, uh, man, than, than kind of anything. Um, and I totally agree with you. So the way I came up with that, um, leading into the way, the reason why I, I started on the whole pitching ninja stuff is I gathered all this knowledge over the years and I wanted to make sure that when I stopped coaching eventually, that other people didn't have to reinvent the wheel and they didn't have to invest in stupid things. Um, you know, this, this thing that's going to make you throw harder or, or, or lessons with, with guys that don't know what they're doing, just have the benefit of some of my trial and error and get introduced to some of the people that I think are doing it right. Um, who happen to be my friends and the, in the, who I learned from coming up through, uh, through coaching. Similarly, once I realized that, that there's a bunch of, uh, like basically every major college coach, um, MLB organization, they all follow pitching ninja for a variety of different reasons. Um, once I realized I had all those folks, I was like, how else can I do something really good? Because the other thing that drives me crazy, I think, you know, I think the access information should be free. I also think that people shouldn't have to mortgage their whole future for to go to a showcase where yeah, my kid, my kid did the same thing, you know, all the showcase and stuff and I could afford it. But a lot of people couldn't, and they took they had you know, had limited vacation, and they had to work extra days because they took off to take their kid to a showcase. They spent their you know half their life savings to travel to Florida for a, for a showcase and get a hotel and do all this stuff, or they had you know they had to change their vacation plans, whatever it is. 
it, it, it gets to be nuts and no parent um, wants to ever say they didn't do the best for their kid. They didn't give their kid a shot to be successful. And no kid wants to go through life saying, Oh, if I only, if more people saw me, I would have had a chance. Well, I figured with all this, all the people following uh, the pitching ninja, I could get them to also follow really cool stuff that's going on with high school and college players or people that want to make it to the pros that didn't get a shot. And, uh, and just take down the cost of participating in the game to make it more accessible for everybody. Because in the end, baseball shouldn't be a rich kid sport in the U.S. It isn't anywhere else. Um, you can Dominican, you can grow up poor and you just fight your way out in the U S it's, you got to have a $400 bat and a $500 glove and go to these $2,000 showcases with the hotels and everything and the travel, uh, play for a, a two to $4,000 travel team. You have to do all that stuff. And if you don't do it, yeah, you can probably get by by just being an athlete. But what kid wants to be on a team where everybody else is rich and has all this fancy equipment and has to borrow equipment from their friends? Nobody wants to do that. So they all migrate to different sports. And that's not fair, and that's not the way it should be, and it's not good for baseball. And I think that having a, 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 a way where you can get seen at any given time, you have a good bullpen. So at a showcase, as you were talking about, say you had a bad day. Say you had a stomach ache or you're, you know, you're up crapping the whole night. Um, you have a cold. You, just, you don't feel good. Your arm hurts. Whatever it is, you just wasted that opportunity. And when are you going to get another opportunity? When are you going to convince your parents to pay you know, $4,000 for, for this or, you know, whatever it, it, with, with flat ground, you can show your best day and you can do it multiple times. If you had a really good bullpen, you want to put it up there. Hey, that's, that's awesome. And scouts really care about your best day too. They I mean, they want to see you struggle, but they also want to see what, what can you, what's the best you and flat ground gives you that opportunity to market yourself so that you never feel like you didn't have that chance. And that's really what I've, feel is important um, for, for everybody. So the parents don't feel, feel bad they didn't give their kids a shot. Kids don't feel bad that they never got a shot. And schools get to see people they never saw before. And recruiting guys have told me that, that it makes their life easier because they don't have to travel all over the place and get away from their family. They could actually do recruiting by sitting at their computer and find better folks. So it helps. The, I think it helps a lot, and I think it's going to get bigger. Um, I'm very excited about the way it's gone so far. And I think that, uh, I mean, so it's good to hear from you, from someone that's been through it. And I think it's really just a testament to the power of Twitter and the power of social media. I mean, by, by and large, Twitter is a mess. Social media is a mess. But one thing that it really does, it allows information to spread so quickly. And so, I mean, from the day that you announced this, I mean, it's been... It was right at the turn of the year, right? It was January 1st, January 2nd, somewhere around there. I mean, you're 25,000 followers already in five months. And, you know, just you've done such amazing work with that. So as even as somebody who I'm on the opposite side of the coin, okay? Like I, I stopped playing baseball in the sixth grade because I got hit in the hip by like a 58-mile-per-hour fastball. Never again. So when we're talking about Jordan Hicks throwing 104, I'm like, nah, not a chance. But – but it it did. It was it was very big and purple. It was horrible. But but uh, but but seeing it from the other side too, and and not even from the player perspective, but just from strictly an observer perspective, it's really cool to see guys like whether it's Chris Nunn or or anybody else who's been able to to find success through this. It's just it's great, man. It's it's um, 
really good work, not just sitting back on your laurels and saying, look at me, I'm so popular. You know, you decided to do something, like you said, something that can continue to grow and help people. And that's where a lot of people, they get to kind of where you are and they just kind of sit back and, and just enjoy it for themselves. And you're spreading love around. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's, that's always been kind of, cause I don't do it for money. I mean, it's not, I'm sitting there doing it. Like how much I think a lot of people and, and, and not to their discredit, uh, because people have to make a living. So I understand why people do things and showcases or run the way they are and, and other stuff. I get that. And there is an importance to showcases and stuff too, where you see people in person, there's nothing wrong with that. They're just people that shouldn't be at those things that are, are, that think that if they get seen that somehow something magical happen. And, and I can provide that step to prevent them from making a big mistake financially. And also see, they can see what you're, what you're talking about, where they can go through and see other players and go, I'm not really as good as these guys. Uh, the other thing is I didn't realize that, that there are players that are throwing the piss out of the ball that, that have been written off by MLB organizations and don't get second looks. And by putting them out there, or they have guys following them. So they may have an organization following them and saying, you know, I'm going to just wait and see. And when they get out on flat ground and, and other people are seeing them, now all of a sudden is a feeding frenzy versus just that one under the radar guy where they can, they, now it, it's either the school or the, or the organization or MLB organization has the control because they're the ones that, you know, everybody wants their, their stuff. But when they have to compete, for players because a player's out there and 25,000 people are seeing him and talking about how great he is and why isn't he signed. Now all of a sudden they may lose that player and there becomes a feeding frenzy and people then have to make a decision and, and go in and, and sign them. And I've been surprised at how many people have signed with MLB organizations because I thought that scouting had it all figured out and they don't. Um, so some of them weren't seen by scouts to begin with, but others Scouts have been laying more, have been laying back and not making any, you know, not doing anything about it, and this this creates a, a feeding frenzy type thing, which makes them it puts a player more in control, uh, just by breaking down walls. It, it, there's no longer silos, um, and that's what the internet's really good at, which is uh, this is why eBay is successful. Other things, uh, something's more valuable to somebody else than it is to you know to, to other folks. It breaks down these walls. Well, I can do that with recruiting and scouting and stuff. Uh, and I'm in a unique position to do it. So it's almost, I have to do it. I mean, I almost felt like if I'm not going to do it, nobody's going to do it. And this thing needs to be fixed. So that's, that's the reason why I started, but it's really cool to hear it from your side. Too. Well, there's, there's a part of me that's very like, uh, very angry and envious of the kids today being able to do that. Or like, Hey, I didn't get a shot to do that when I was your age. Why do you get a shot? Then the more then the better part of me is like, Okay, it's a far better thing that happened, and one day my own kid might be able to do that. Right. And speaking of yep. kids, yours is at Georgia Tech, so he is. When when you do all these gifts, is it going to be like the number one moment forever for your life when you get to do one of these gifts of your own son? I get too nervous doing all that stuff. I don't know. I mean, I like doing it for people that I know. Sure, um, my own kid. I I don't. I try to keep as few of his stuff on there as, as possible. Yeah, it might be cool if he if he makes someone fall down or a sword or something like that. I mean, I think he might find his way to get on there. I did put him on there the other day throwing a, a curveball because he's on the, the news playing on a summer ball team. But I try not to do it too much because I'm. You know, it, it, the other thing is, I don't feel it's my account isn't like Facebook or something. I don't like putting my own stuff out there. I want to put stuff that's interesting to everybody, not myself. 
Um, but occasionally, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, it also, a lot of it is derived from trying to help him, his friends, kids I've coached, um, teammates, whatever it is. And I still have folks come over my house even in the off season and work on stuff because, and it's just fun for me. I mean, it's, it's fun to help people, uh, to be more of a, a, a teacher on that stuff. And it also helps you learn because you learn more by teaching stuff than you do from actually being a student. That is true. That is actually a, a really good point you bring up. But for for the volume of video that you're watching, because like like you said, you're doing you're doing a lot of this uh, yourself. You only get like five percent uh, external output. So like if you if you were going to build an arsenal, let's say that you you're a pitcher and then you can use say five pitches from anybody that you want. Like whose five pitches would you use? Ooh, that is a really good question. Um, I would use, can I say either? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think uh, Hicks and Trinan's uh, sinkers, I would probably go with either one. I mean, I think uh, Hicks's velocity is ridiculous and his movement's ridiculous. Trinan just does it, his movements a little bit. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. Never seen anything like either. So one of those two. Um, Slider-wise, I mean, I I would probably say Scherzer would be my number one guy. Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> change up. I mean, this year Castillo's is uh, is pretty insane. Hendricks would be up there. Uh, Strasburg is always kind of legendarily uh, good. So he would, he'd be up there as well. It'd be one of those three, probably. Um, four seamer. I can do that. I mean, uh, like Kimbrell, when he's uh, on, is really, really tough to hit. His fastball is in, kind of impossible to square up. And I would, I wouldn't mind having, uh, having his. What other pitches do you want? The curveball, man. It's think, all about the hammer. Yeah. Um, the Kershaw is kind of overdone. I mean, I, I, Nola's when he's on is really, really good. Um, Kershaw's is always really, really good, too, but that's kind of a cop-out answer, isn't it? I know you're thinking about saying Max Fried on the curveball. I know it's got to be running in your mind. Third, but he's, so the problem is, is, is he's got to be around longer, but I would definitely say uh, – especially being a Braves guy. I mean, I should say Soroka too on the sinker part, but um, I think that I'd, yeah, he's definitely up there and Freed would definitely be up there too, without a doubt. I think makeup wise, and this is the other stuff that I think is important versus just the nasty pitch stuff. Uh, player makeup is, is something that often gets overlooked. Somebody like Scherzer's mentality, um, Stroman's mentality. I kind of get into that as well. I think uh, you've probably seen the Ethan Small stuff I've done. I think he's a he's a competitor on the mound. I kind of like that the fire breathing dragon dude on the mound. Um, that's kind of fun to see. You have uh, so what, I would probably add some of that and and uh, add some messing with timing too, and then we'd have a pretty nasty pitcher. We need a cutter too, I guess, right? Is there anybody but Mariano's that you would take? And that's the cutter, right? No, I would. I mean, Jansen at his best was really. Uh, really good Wade Davis is really good um but no Mariano's I mean if you're talking all-time stuff yeah I mean if I can have this cutter I probably won't need it the rest of the other pitches 
My favorite part of that, who the K struts too. That's the biggest thing. Like everybody loves the yep. bat flips now. Uh, well, you have that weird divide between people who are under thirty and people who are like over forty five that either love or want to punch somebody in the face for bat flipping. Uh, you've kind of gone yep. the opposite way and started showing the the guys that do the shimmy or the K struts uh, or your your best gif of all time, which was the Max Scherzer. Yelling no at his pitching at his manager. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit. Yeah, that is. I uh, mean, that's it, my favorite. That is. That was one of the best moments ever. You got a guy with two different colored eyes, just aggro, angry, <laughs> just screaming no at you. Well, see what, what that's the other thing that I'm kind of trying to to do is baseball could either be stale. And be like no other sport, which is you're sitting there being straight faced the whole time and you can't show any emotion and you can't you know, show anybody up, God forbid. Uh, and if you do, you're going to wear one or it can grow and make it more accessible to, to everybody else. I mean, everybody that's, that's under, you know, 60 years old and been watching a game for a long time. And even them, I think they can get it. Everybody can transform and say, this is really cool stuff. But be a competitor. I mean, every other sport, being, what would basketball be if you couldn't trash talk? I mean, that's literally all I do if I'm on a court because I can't play real well, but I can trash talk. I can, I, with, the, with the best of them. And if I ever if I score, I will absolutely let, them, let someone know. But why isn't, why isn't baseball, why isn't that okay? I mean, just because the game started in the 1880s? What, I mean, that doesn't seem right. Make it more relatable now and, and show personality and uh, be competitor. Competitors trash talk and competitors get excited when they do something, when they do something well. I've actually toyed with setting up a league where you're just doing pitcher versus hitter and you create a, you know, like a, you know, a, a death war, a death match between them. And you, you set up little things around the country where you're just finding and they trash talk the whole time and you get metrics on them and you see who's throwing you know, how hard they're throwing and, and uh, how far the ball's gone off the bat, just hitter versus pitcher and treat it like a boxing or MMA match. Who do you think, who do you think would be the biggest trash talkers pitching wise? It's gotta be somebody like Bumgarner or Stroman, right? It's gotta be one of those two. <laughs> well, Bumgarner is trash. He, he trash talks in his attempt to be old school. He so trash he talks just, everywhere. Just, Have you ever seen him in a dugout screaming at people? Oh yeah. Yeah. He definitely does that. That's true. Um, I would say, I mean, Scherzer would be hilarious in that environment if he really let it go. I think Stroman would be, um, I, I was like, uh, when, when Jeremy Jeffers is going well, he's, yeah, he's intense and, you know, and, and just lets it all out. He's, uh, he's fun to watch, but I think you might find there's, if, if it was encouraged, there might be other guys who we're not even seeing that would, that would, uh, do really well at it that we haven't even thought about. I mean, that they just feel like they have to behave a certain way uh i'd be scared with with mad bum on the mound though i mean he, he's big dude he's, he ever let it, he's country yeah, strong. he's a big dude yeah exactly but even still every once in a while you'll get somebody like mad bum who's doing that and then somebody beats him at his own game and max muncie tells him to go get the ball out of the ocean that that's that's just next level trash talk right there so but but the- I even tweeted that. So I'd never tweet hitter successes, and I had to tweet that because you have a guy that's that's uh, you know trying to not let the kids play versus a guy who just is sitting there having fun and didn't really do anything all that bad. I got I got uh, you know, yapped at, 
And to clap back like that was fantastic. I mean, good for him. Where does it rank in relation to uh, Derek Dietrich this year? <laughs> All right, so long story is uh, Derek Dietrich is probably uh, – we, we know him really well like as a family, my, my, we used to go to tech games all the time and sit with his parents. His mom gave my kid his athletic all American pin. Cause my son was his biggest fan. We have a, we made a, a whole book for him when he, when he left, he kept up with them in the minor leagues. Uh, he's a really good dude. And to see him, like he never, there was no inkling of that uh, when he was at tech or, uh, when we, you know, when we knew him as a as a eighteen year old, but he's he's just he's a really good dude who likes to have fun. He does have a lot of old school stuff. I think he was even called like old time. Uh, he had some old time nickname because he was more old school. But he's he's also now letting his personality out, and I think that's I mean it's kind of fun. I mean maybe people hate him, maybe people like him, but it creates some some reason to watch the game. So you watch him get beat, or you watch him beat somebody. And that, that creates more eyeballs on the game when you, when you have that, that personality. I mean, Bauer does that too. People either love to, see, love to watch him or love to watch him fail, and that means more people are watching the game. He's got great stuff. He's fun to watch. Uh, but people root against him too, and he doesn't, he doesn't mind it. He's kind of like the old-school wrestling heel where uh, some people root for him, other people hate him, and they'll throw stuff at him, whatever. But his mentality is the more people are against me, it just makes him try harder, so it actually helps him. The more you, the more you don't like him. For Dietrich, it has to be being around Joey Votto, who's in the last three or four <laughs> years be. has gone into being like evil Joey Votto. It's like that old cartoon right. supervillain with like the curly mustaches. Like that—that's yep. <laughs> Joey Votto nowadays. Whether he's taking something from a fan out of the stands or just—I I don't know how to it explain ha- it. You're right. That has to be. It's the best thing ever. Uh, the, the important part for Dietrich is now that he's in Cincinnati, he can celebrate because when you hit one out, you know it's gone. Nobody wants to be that guy that uh, does the Puig trot and uh, you get held to a single. Um, nobody, especially, you can't do that at 18, 19, um, because if you start pimping a home run and, for instance, it bounces off the top of the wall and bounces back in and you end up on second base, it's a good way to get yourself running poles for an hour after the game. Yes, exactly. Um, that's it. I think coaches probably need to change that that a little bit too to keep attracting folks. I mean, you see a lot of. So this is another thing that gets me as 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 somebody who coaches is we tend to teach at least in the U.S. we 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 boil it down into taking the athleticism out of the sport and taking the fun out of the sport and teaching these mechanical ways to do everything from pitching to fielding to hitting versus letting people be athletes. And in the end, the athletes win. Athleticism, you don't watch a routine play on highlight films. Nobody goes to a game to watch a, 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 a guy get in proper fielding position, do whatever. It's obviously important. But you watch the people that improvise or the people that are able to do something athletically that you couldn't do. And we boil that out of, of athletes playing the game by making sure that they do something a hundred times this, you know, this way versus letting them play in their backyard and, uh, and just experiment with different things. I mean, experiment with different pitches. Don't say, oh, you only have to, you only can throw a fastball and you have to throw, you have to, you, you have to use a windup and have to throw it this way. And we're not going to let you pitch otherwise. Or, uh, you know, you have to feel the ground ball by, 
getting in front of it. We're not going to practice any exciting plays. Well, practice some exciting plays. Practice throwing balls from different arm slots. Practice different stuff. Um, and, and just make the game more interesting. I mean, I think that that's, that's important stuff, too. And in other countries, they do that. So, you know, I think some of it is, is taking some, boiling some of that old-school thought, both in the way the game's played but how it's taught, and trying to uh, break out of that mold. And you've seen that. I mean, you see the more popular folks that are, are teaching the game right now are teaching more about athleticism, strength, and, and other stuff, uh, and less about point A to point B, looking at pictures about, hey, you're not in this position, this guy is in that position. Um, it's, it's a dynamic sport like everything else. Basketball players can shoot a fadeaway. I mean, you can shoot a ball from any position, why can't a, why does a baseball player have to throw from a certain, you know, have to repeat their mechanics? Does a basketball player repeat his, his mechanics when he's guarded and has to make a shot? No. Well, you do have to be able to adjust on the fly, and that's what makes those highlight real plays. That's what makes them special. I mean, home runs are cool to see in person when they're big and majestic and stuff, but, you know, I, I just as soon watch a, a diving catch in the outfield or some... Uh, or a shortstop go sprinting into foul territory and make a sliding sliding grab up against uh, up against the wall or something like that. I mean, it's it's it really displays the athleticism. So so yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, that's right. And 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 what you're saying is 100 percent true. And a lot of coaches don't do that. A lot of coaches will sit there and go, "Well, we're not. You know, that's just something we will we'll never." go through or teach. So you're making the, you're making practices really boring too. We used to have highlights and, and, you know, make, make highlight plays and practices just to make it more interesting. And to, to get kids being athletic and trying to do different things, I mean, feel the ball between your legs, go ahead and try it. Uh, you know, you used to do that. If you're playing in your backyard, you're playing wiffle ball. Why don't you do it? You know, you can have some, some part of practice doing all that stuff. Don't make the game boring. It's words to live by. Well, Rob, man, we we have kept you so much longer than we said that we would. We'll, we'll let you get out of here, man. Just thank you so much for stopping by. And I know that I'm pretty sure that every single person that's listening to this follows you already. But just in the the very rare occasion that somebody does not follow you already, uh, tell them where to find you and Flat Ground and anything else that, that you want to uh, that you want to make known out there. Sure. Um, so on Twitter, it's at Pitching Ninja. Um, Flat Ground is at Flat Ground App or at flat ground bats for position players and uh, feel free to follow, join, post, tweet, do whatever. Uh, it's the more, the merrier. Thank you so much, Rob. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I just wanted to say sorry to doc for Bogart and most of that segment. No, it's cool. It's, I mean, I've just, this is like school for me. This, this is great. I mean, I I've learned, I've learned a ton just, just listening to you guys talk and uh, you know, I, I love it. So, um, so hopefully it wasn't boring because I mean it's, it's I, I get bored very easily. So oh man, this hopefully was, it wasn't boring. Like I said, I, I I didn't play, so there are a lot of things that never really came natural to me. So I learned a lot by reading and watching. So listening to stuff like this is fascinating to me. So any and anybody else who's listening, I, I can guarantee you was fascinated by it as well. So um, if you got time, we would love to have you back whenever whenever you've got the time. Sounds great. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, and thank you guys so much. We're going to take a quick break along with Rob here. When we come back, Doc and I are going to discuss some things happening on the Major League side of things coming up right, coming up in just a second right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddles. 
If you're looking to dominate at some table tennis with some relative detainment, you need a Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddle. Bring your A-game with these shameful remnants of debauchery, including the certified Nick Nolte Paddle. Mash backhands with an official Charlie Sheen. Run up the score on your buddies with our best-selling line of Flavor Flaves. And if you're playing in a tournament, you know you can use a separate Lindsay Lohan paddle for every single opponent. Celebrity Mugshot Ping Pong Paddles. Put some shame in your game. Patent pending. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our buddies at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the number one app for all your ticket buying or selling needs. SeatGeek.com has a fantastic app that lets you know how good that seat you're buying really is, how much you should be paying for that seat, whether somebody's overcharging or underselling and you're getting a fantastic value. SeatGeek makes it very easy to get to baseball games, football games, concerts, whatever you might need a ticket for. SeatGeek is awesome for that. It's also great if you're selling because they've got this algorithm where they can go around and they can tell you what a fair price for your ticket actually is. And SeatGeek can do that, and you can know what to charge somebody for a seat right down the right field line at the Braves game uh, for the upcoming Braves and Phillies game. You, you can know exactly what you need to charge right there with SeatGeek. And if you use our promo code, ACAA, then they're going to give you $20 off at checkout. That's two beers, at least, at the ballpark. We know that it's overpriced there, but if you get 20 free bucks, that's $20 that you didn't have before. Just use our promo code ACAA, SeatGeek.com. Life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, I hope you guys really enjoyed that There'll be uh, that back and forth we had with Rob. That was one of my favorites, I think, that we've done so far. Uh, I, I really just enjoy talking to him. It's, it's a fun perspective for a guy that is a high school coach, his son is playing in college. He's been doing it for a long time, so so it's kind of fun uh, to talk to him about that. But there are some things around with the big league club that we need to discuss, some things that happened uh, last week after the show that we need to get into. Um, so before we do anything else, let's go ahead and start off with the good things. Dallas Keuchel, who I did write another piece about on BravesJournal.com, uh, telling you what, you what you should expect from him. Uh, Dallas Keuchel had about as good of a debut as is possible to have, uh, just – out there and just straight up obliterated those poor 18 and 19 year olds in Rome. It's so seven innings, one walk, uh, nine strikeouts. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. Pretty fantastic debut for him. I kind of wondered whether or not, cause he's got a lot of, uh, playing in low a ball. He's going to have a lot of inexperienced defenders playing behind him. But I mean, for the, for all the strikeouts that he wound up getting, I mean, they did, he didn't really give them a lot of opportunity to, to begin with. So He's gonna have his first, uh, his first real opportunity this Saturday. I think it is. He's part of the uh, Ian Anderson Dallas Keuchel doubleheader in Mississippi, which is a very big case of good luck, everybody else. But uh, but yeah, I mean, all things considered, so far uh, the Dallas Keuchel era is off to a really good start. And it's it's not a coincidence that his second and probably last minor league start is on Saturday, the day that would have been Kevin Gosman's had he not been uh, placed onto the IL for plantar fasciitis, which I can tell you, unless he got it during that outing with the Pirates, th- he has not been pitching with plantar fasciitis for a month. I can promise you that. 
I think that that was uh, that's an old injury that he might have had in Baltimore that just conveniently happened to flare up sometime over the last um, last couple of outings. And my, is isn't that convenient that uh, that all of a sudden he's hurt? Yeah, because if you're talking about plantar fasciitis, especially in your driving leg, the one that's against the rubber, um, he wouldn't be able to be throwing his fastball with 95 to 97 velocity. He'd be down in the, in the velocity. None of his breaking stuff would be moving. It's more a case of he's just getting hit hard, and this is a way for the Braves to be able to put him on the IL so they don't have to really make a 25-man a, a move or anything like that. So they're able to just kind of move him without, quote-unquote, saying, hey, he sucks. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I think it's fair to say. I think it's fair to say that we've seen Kevin Gosman's last start as an Atlanta Brave, barring some sort of catastrophic injury. You know, I, I think I think he might possibly thrive in the bullpen. We've talked a lot about the fact that he relies on a two pitch mix, and I, I don't know why he's he's only doing two because I swear he he used to throw a slider as well. But um, you know, you can thrive an inning at a time in the bullpen and he's still got the velocity that, that you want to see back there and you know Darren O'Day was going to be the nine million dollar bullpen piece but he's uh proving to be as evasive as you know Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster so nobody knows if he actually exists so Gossman will be stepping into that nine million dollar a year reliever role and you know I was at the game on Monday night uh against Pittsburgh and it wasn't so much that he was just getting annihilated. I mean, he, he got hit hard, but there was a, a comebacker to him that was supposed to be like a surefire double play. And it's like it's like he panicked. And like he'd turn around and air throw into center field. And then on the next batter, that's when Marte hit the, hit the three-run home run. So it's like he just is so bunched up and he's so anxious about everything. It's like he knows that he's falling apart. It's like... It's like Eric Ibar a couple years ago, where it became really apparent really early on, like, this guy's head just isn't fully in it. And I know that people always want to point to Fulty and point to Newcomb and be like, oh, this team needs a psychologist or whatever. I mean, after a while, like, bad performance just becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, especially after what happened in Washington. And then what happened so early in that game in Pittsburgh, um, last week I guess I mean and and he's just it's like he's trying to do too much and he's kind of clouded his ability to do any of it so I wish him the best whether it is plantar fasciitis or or whether it's just ruptured success gland or whatever it is I mean he still has really high velocity he could still be a good piece but one good thing about that game on Monday which is the craziest baseball game I've ever been to but seeing Sean Newcomb come in and pitch four and two-thirds innings, not walk anybody, and strike out six. I mean, that looked like the version of Sean Newcomb that everybody was expecting when we traded Andrew Simmons for him and when he pitched a near-no-hitter against the Dodgers last year. It's as dominant as I've, as Nuke has been ever since that game against L.A. It really was, and it was high time that the Braves saw it from him. We've talked about it before, but since coming back up, Nuke, you see Newcomb throwing 96 again. Uh, he's not dialing himself down to 91, which I told you before he got sent down. You can't, he can't throw at that at that speed because now it, it, it makes him a soft throwing pitcher. Like if you can't control 96, then you're not a 96 mile an hour pitcher. Well, now it looks like he's kind of stopped thinking so much and stopped trying to aim. He's just kind of throwing. 
uh, which is good to see from him. It's what he's needed to do. Uh, he's been great out of the bullpen, and he's been – this is, what, two times in a row for Gosman he's had to come in and bail him out. And he's done a great job both times. So Newcomb will be getting the start on Saturday. Uh, a lot of the talk around the water cooler, a lot of the talk that I'm getting, uh, is is this going to be permanent for Sean Newcomb? Is he going to, to be the starter? Is he going to be a starter now? Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think he's been so successful doing what he's doing right now that I think the Braves would – and he's, he's been a reliever for a minute now. Um, I think the Braves would, would do well to piggyback on Saturday. Uh I personally, if, if you don't have to use Tukey, God willing, if you don't have to use him tomorrow, uh, recording this on Thursday, by the way, if you don't have to use Tukey on Friday, then I would have Sean and Tukey both go four innings, ideally, uh, on, on Saturday. Um, but then again, if it were me, I'd run an opener for the first inning since Tukey and Newcomb do much better when they're not labeled as a starter. Uh, so I'd throw an opener and then let those two be the primaries. Tukey has been really good in long relief, but in short relief, he's been really struggling. Uh, the uh, Pittsburgh-Atlanta game is still going on right now, and he had a, had another kind of stinker uh, today, and then he had a, a bad one last night too. So I, I wonder if, uh, if they need to start kind of pulling some things around here and there. But as it pertains to Newcomb, like, him as a starter, I wonder how much of it's, well, once again, we're coming back to the mental aspect of it, where it's like I wonder how much of it is, is going to be him saying, okay, I'm getting my chance again. But a couple things about that. Part of the reason why he worked so good against Pittsburgh is he was able to go so long is because he was really efficient. He threw 55 pitches in four and two-thirds innings. So even if he is going to wind up getting stretched out, I mean, I think that the most you're really going to be able to, to, see, to see him go is like, say, 80 pitches, which for Newcomb, the version of a starter that we've seen out of him that's about four and two-thirds or five innings anyway. So, um, But also, the reason why in the second and third games of the season, you know, Julio started the opener against Philadelphia back in March, and then it was Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright. And part of the reason why they did that was because it is a really, really righty-heavy lineup for Philly. So, And even with their offense struggling, they still tend to do all right against left-handed pitching. So this is going to be a really, really telling start for uh for Sean Newcomb on Saturday. So it's good for him though, honestly, for sticking with it and and going being optioned down to the minors and then being sent to the bullpen and all these different things that happen where it's like, you know, pitchers are on their last leg when they when these type of things start happening. And he's stuck with it and he's really succeeded. I mean he's only only walked a couple of guys. He's really limited the home run ball so far. Knock on knock on wood, knock on all of the wood. So um and now it looks like he's gonna get his chance again. So Keuchel's coming. Uh, Newcomb, at least they, they'll have a better idea of whether or not he can be leaned on as a starter uh, for, for the rest of the year. So how the rotation looks now could look very different coming up uh, two months from now. Uh, we should also mention, I believe today is also Sean Newcomb's birthday. I believe he turns 26 today. Um, I, he's, he's probably not going to be – the only way that Sean Newcomb is going to be a starter uh, is, is if they decide to move Fulte to the bullpen, which – it keeps getting brought up in conversation because uh, it was yet another bad outing from Fulte against the Pirates. Now, the Pirates are kind of a weird team offensively. If you just look at them and, and you don't watch any of their games, you look at their lineup and think that they're one of the worst lineups in baseball. Like, they have legitimately Starling Marte and Josh Bell, and that's about it. For, for whatever reason, though, 
they've been great offensive. It's like the Diamondbacks, where there's no name recognition, where if you're just looking at the names, you're thinking, all right, this team is horrible. Yet somehow they just keep hitting. And one thing that the Pirates do really, really well is fight off pitches. They've consistently, this entire series, they've driven up pitch counts. You, you saw them do it against Max Fried. You saw them do it against Mike Soroka, which in having Mike Soroka's worst start of the year, uh, you saw them do it against Julio for, for today. That, that's just what they do as a team. They just do a great job fighting off pitches and then getting to Marte and Bell, who have both just been stupendous players. They're real pesky guys like guys like Kevin Newman, guys like Colin Moran. Like like you said, the name recognition thing. Nobody's gonna look at this lineup and think that it's formidable. But we saw we saw them do this last week, and we've seen them do this in the series. Now the Braves are it's uh, the ninth inning now, and the Braves are up six four. So um, we have seen them do this for seven games now, where it's just their offense is relentless. The Pittsburgh's problem is that their bullpen and their starters suck. They have been so so very bad. So, um, and this is why you still got to go and play all the games and everything. So, if any team can go out and score five runs on Mike Soroka in five innings and put up ten hits, that's just a really good approach. That's not bailing on pitches and just swinging out of your shoes. I mean, that's very contact-oriented. So, even for a last-place team, I've been really impressed with, with how their offense has looked. I mean, the the team, the pitcher that had the most success against the Pirates was Julio Tehran, who went six innings today, uh, only gave up one earned run, two runs total, but one earned run. He did have more walks than strikeouts, but Pittsburgh is a team that doesn't strike out. It's good for Julio. It's yet another indication that he's taken a huge step forward from where he was. Uh, it also makes me feel a little bit better about Freed's last outing, where I, I thought he had a, a better outing than he did in his previous three and when you see what the pirates have been doing like they've just been doing it to everybody so i don't feel as bad with soroka a lot of the numbers if you look at his his strikeout to walk ratio is kind of the big indicator i believe it was like 60 to 13 uh so in like 68 innings so it's not all that surprising that he's coming back down to earth a little bit he wasn't going to pitch at an under one era clip the rest of the season he gives up too much contact for that not worried about it. It's just one of those things that you'll deal with. And Soroka pitched fine. I mean, he was hitting spots. He was throwing good pitches. The Pirates were just putting bats on the balls. Yeah, and and you still you're gonna have outings like this where it's like you have to take the good with the bad. And if you tell me that Mike Soroka is seven and one with a one ninety two ERA and a sub three FIP, you still take it every single time. And uh, but this is one that it really helps to watch. Instead of instead of just keep up with on on game day or something, because then you might say, well, you know, what what happened to Soroka? Is he broken too? Um, but but to bring it bring it back to Fulty, I mean, th- this this is like this is not necessarily a bad team to get it to gauge on of somebody's true value. Uh, Fulty didn't give give up any home runs, which is huge. That that is actually a big step for him. And like I said, you got to take you got to take the good with the bad, and and, and some of the. Uh, some of these instances, but I don't see Fulty going to the bullpen uh, long term. Like, and there there are options. Like Bryce Wilson, I, I think is going to wind up being a start at some point. Kyle Wright, I don't necessarily think so, uh, just because uh, he's kind of behind the curve on some things, and, and Bryce has really cleaned up a, a, lot, a lot of his walks and and some of the things that are going on. So there might be some skipped starts here and there. We talked about innings limits for Freed and Soroka, so it's good to know that there are options. You know there there really are options for what's what's going to happen here. But Fulty, I mean, he hasn't looked, he hasn't looked great. You know, he really hasn't looked. He great. still, 
Still doesn't look all that healthy to me. He still looks like he's favoring that elbow some. And he's kind of back to to getting the, the bad body language every time he gives up a hit, which is not what you want to see. But there was another reason you went to the game Monday, and it's not just the fact that, that Newcomb pitched so well and that Gosman was horrendous yet again, and that for whatever reason, Brian Snicker, like the most player manager ever, uh, pulled no punches in the postgame when asked about pulling Gosman. And he flat out said... He had a five-run lead, and he gave up four runs right after that, and it just didn't look like it was going to be good, so I pulled him. Um, there was also the weird incident between Josh Donaldson and Joe Musgrove, who pitched today. Yeah. Um, okay, so I got – I fell backwards into these really good seats. My dad's buddy's coworker has season tickets in Section 120, like row one. And, I mean – my dad called and said, hey, I've got some really good seats. If you want them, they're free, and there's free parking and everything. And I, I would have taken free tickets for, like, the 400s, you know what I mean? It just so happened to be, like, the first base side, even with the pitcher's mound. So I got to watch this entire thing. Craziest game. Craziest game I have ever seen. And it's it's not even close. But this is, like, bench-clearing brawl in the first inning. And, you know, last week in Pittsburgh, Donaldson pimped a home run. And so as soon as he got hit, I mean, he as a person didn't even get hit. It brushed the jersey. And the whole thing with the stare down and, you know, I don't know about you, but I can read lips. And there was <laughs> there was a lot, a lot of um, jawing going on, a lot, of, a lot of swearing going on back and forth and everything. And it really did look like Musgrove was staring Donaldson down. But the whole thing just escalated to this really, really weird, uncomfortable scene. And, like... I was glad Musgrove got thrown out, but it wasn't because I thought he did anything wrong necessarily. It was just because he had pitched really well against us last week, and I was glad to get to their bullpen because their bullpen is, like I mentioned before, it's really, really bad. Pretty, well, pretty this meat-headed. Is, this, is, this is not the first time that Donaldson has done that. Every time he gets hit, he, he gets this look on his face like, oh, you did that on purpose, and he, he gets this, like, butthurt look on his face and it kind of drives me crazy because like Josh is not hitting well enough to where opposing pitchers are hitting him to get to somebody else in the lineup like he's the guy right now that you want to go at like you don't want to pitch to Freddie uh now if you're picking between Marcakis and Donaldson conventional wisdom would be in a power situation pitch to Marcakis but overall this season Donaldson hasn't been that guy to this point that you know, that you're hitting people to get away from. And he, he gets this attitude every single time. And that's what it was against Musgrove. I saw it live and I've watched it 10,000 times afterwards. He gets brushed on the Jersey, which seems to only happen to Braves pitchers. They seem to only hit people in the Jersey. It didn't touch skin or anything. So, you know, he flips the bat away and he just starts staring at Musgrove and Musgrove kind of stares back. Like, why are you looking? I mean, Do- that's essentially what Donaldson says to him uh, with some more colorful language. Uh, to which Joe Musgrove yells back, well, what are you looking at? And lo and behold, two 16-year-old boys in testosterone-fueled rage uh, play the hold-me-back game. Yeah, I will give one point to Donaldson for the aggressive shove on Elias Diaz because he he moved him like he was a ragdoll. Um, it was uh, just the whole, the whole thing was weird, and, and I was really hoping that there would be some type of, you know, for the Thursday afternoon game, which the Braves just won. We have now won seven consecutive games. Still undefeated in the Dallas Keuchel era. Um, I, was, I was really hoping that there would be some type of fireworks today, like uh, not like a fight or anything, but like Donaldson would 
uh, would hit a home run off of him and, you know, crab walk to first base or, or something like that. So th that didn't didn't wind up happening. But, uh, you know, J.D. kind of has a... He gives off a bit of a meathead vibe, you know? He just looks like a... Not even like a... He's kind of like still in the frat boy phase where you know he's got like a... Drives like a Trans Am or something like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the... And, and I like Josh Donaldson. That's the thing. Like, two weeks ago, we were talking about how it hasn't necessarily been a bad signing. And it hasn't been bad. But but you're right. I mean, he's not really in the position to go bucking up on people. It's not like he's hitting 410 with 40 bombs so far. Like, no nobody's trying to put you on base. They know they can probably just get you out if they try. Right. And this year, I mean, all you've had to do is, is do what they did for the most part today, which is throw an up-and-in fastball. I was kind of hoping that the Braves would sit Donaldson. And you, so he could quote unquote drop his suspension and and use today as the quote unquote suspended game, so he'd be fine going into this this really important series with Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, I'm not sure why it didn't happen. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why he played a day game after a night game, which has like been something the Braves have not done all season. I know they wanted to sit Austin Riley after getting hit on the wrist last night. Um, but it was just a weird situation all around. Ultimately, it's not a big deal. Uh, Musgrove shouldn't have gotten tossed, which is why he didn't get a suspension. Um, the only reason that Donaldson is going to get a game is because he he uh, big-brothered Elias Diaz and just kind of flung him away. That, that's going to be the only reason why he gets a game, and he'll get a game because if, if you watch, they're going to watch the at-bat too, and it's – Donaldson instigated, so he'll get a game. He might get fined a little bit, but ultimately it's not a big deal. Uh, it, it's just a bad look from Pirates team that hits a lot of batters, uh, especially when you consider Archer and Keller have both intentionally hit people for for pimping. Um, just just a, an unnecessary an unnecessary thing. It was good for Camargo though, who comes in for uh, Donaldson and promptly goes three for four, and he's got he looks like he's finally starting to get a little bit of luck this month. Yeah, and and it's it's tough to it's tough enough to come off off the bench, um, just in in the regular course of being, but then having to come up off the bench knowing that you you have bad luck too, you know you might as well just come up and already have an O two count against you. So uh, that that was really nice, and, and some of it just the flukish stuff, like he hit a double that that caromed off the third base bag, you know, like just like you draw it up, you know. It's uh, it's nice it's nice to see him finally like turning more back into like that viable bench option because the bench, all things considered, has been pretty good uh, this year. Uh, Matt Joyce in in particular and and Charlie Culberson as well. So um, that was the downfall last year in in the playoffs against the Dodgers was was how versatile they were as a team. And so now the uh, the Braves are looking like they could they could have the type of bench that can go deep. Not to necessarily say that they could beat the Dodgers, but they, um, any of those guys could start at, at uh, in a number of positions. So it's a good place to be in. It is, and the Braves are performing well. Uh, they've actually won 22 of their last 31 games since, guess what, um, since Ronald Acuna got moved back to leadoff and Dansby Swanson got moved to number two in the order. This is one of those things where there's some people wanting to give Snick credit for, for moving Acuna. Uh, I don't give him any credit for that because this is exactly what happened last year. Like, am I supposed to give you credit for realizing a month into the season that you should go back to what worked a year ago? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he should have 
he should have rolled with that from the beginning, especially when even Anthopolis was saying, I'm pretty sure that this is how we're going to structure the top of the lineup. I mean, he said that in, like, December. You know, and and I get tweaking things and saying, you know, you can you can always change it back, but it's not... And, and I like Brian Stitcher a lot, but I, I don't think that uh, that he really deserves any additional accolades for for just going back and doing doing that thing that everybody knew he probably should have been doing a long time ago. And and I like Snicker as a person. I like Snicker in the clubhouse. Um, his management style this year has been not strong when it comes to a lot of things, uh, not just bullpen management. The fact that, like, he can't seem to, to have it in him to give Marcakis consistent days off. There, there's a lot of things that are concerning. Not concerning right now in June, but things that could very well be very concerning in August and September. So hopefully they can get some things ironed out there. Um, A.J. Minter, by the way, we should mention, back in the fold. First outing back in Atlanta, really nice. Second outing, not so much. The walks kind of crept back up on him. But uh, that's going to be the key for A.J. Uh, if you're asking me if I think that he's going to reclaim that closer role, I, I'm i going to say no. But then again, I've never really thought A.J. was that guy to begin with. I've never been particularly on the A.J. Minter is left-handed Craig Kimbrell hype train. Um so as long as he can control some of those walks, he'll be a welcome addition to the, the pin just by virtue of he'll get more of Blevins' outings. Yeah, and, and even the, the first outing, you know, he kind of got a raw deal. He gave up a single, and, and then Swarzak gave up the triple and allowed that, that run to, to come around. So that goes against his line. And even uh, in his second outing, he gave up two walks, but one of, the, one of them was, was an intentional pass. So... Uh, he still has a ways to go, but the key for him is the changeup. Like he, you know, he's got got the fastball and he's got the cutter, but those are very similar pitches. And having the changeup provides that that velocity separation and the the movement separation. So that was apparently a big focus of his in Gwinnett. So it's just been two outings so far, but you trust AJ Minter more than you trust a Jerry Blevins. You know, even even with Blevins' track record, um, so yeah, I, th- I think that he could be a very viable piece. But I mean the they still are going to have to fortify the bullpen big time if, if they're going to make like a deep playoff run. I fully agree. And, and touching on that, you put out a trade piece on Talking Chop uh, last week that we need to discuss. There's a lot of names on there that make a lot of sense. Uh, I'm going to focus on, on a few of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, I mean, I'm sure we will. Um, I, I'm just going to say, out, just getting this out of the way, I, I don't really care about Alex Colome. He could probably help, but he's probably like the last name on the list. Um, the the number one names that you'll hear, I think, pretty consistently would be Will Smith and Brad Hand. I prefer Brad Hand. It's going to cost more to get him because he's got more control, and he's probably a little bit better of a pitcher. But uh, either one of those make for a really good play. I think I would like the Braves to, to – I want the Braves to make two bullpen moves, not just one, and not just because, you know, I, I, I think that uh, uh, I think that Luke Jackson is going to fall back down to earth, but because while it's certainly true that some of these young guys could take a next step, I'm not really here to wait for that this year. Uh, if they can take a next step, sure, they can beat somebody out, but at this point I just want the best players possible. We have a surplus of, of – pitchers in the minors and there's a few teams that the Braves really match up with in terms of uh, needing uh, decent pitching prospects of which the Braves have a vast number 
and you know when when I was looking at, at putting putting this entire list together for anybody who hasn't read the piece, the I had six different names on here. It was Will Smith and Sam Dyson of the Giants, Ken Giles from the Blue Jays, who uh, just went down with uh, elbow soreness or elbow tendonitis. So we can go ahead and scratch him off the list. Uh, Greg Holland from the Diamondbacks, uh, Alex Colome from the White Sox, and Brad Hand and. Hand and Smith really are the the interesting ones here. Hand has, does have the much longer track record. He was he was great in San Diego. He was somebody that that a lot of people in Braves country wanted uh, last year, leading up to the trade deadline. And he was like one of the first big pieces that got moved. He got traded to Cleveland with Adam Simber, and he's got a really really affordable deal. And there's which. The amount of team control, like it extends through 2021 if they pick up that last option. So we have seen Alex Anthopoulos' reluctance to spend, whether it's in prospects or in money. So especially as it pertains to relievers. So uh, there's part of me that wonders if it's just a total pipe dream because he would would wind up having to commit a lot of money to a reliever and, and also spend prospects to get him. But also you see some of the money that's coming off the books next year. Um whether it's Donaldson or O'Day or I don't think they're going to be able to like get rid of Gossman for, for anything effective. Uh, but he's got the track record. He's the, the, the veteran presence. We always talk about the veteran presence and how important that is. So he would be a good piece. But I think with Will Smith, you can do a couple of things here. Number one, Will Smith is, is a solid lefty. And, and pairing him up with A.J. Minter, it, like you said, it allows us to uh, to remove Jerry Blevins from the scenario, uh, he, he's going to clear waivers. He'll be waiting in Gwinnett just in case you have the need to to utilize him. But Smith is a free agent at the end of this year. And sometimes, like when people are making trade packages, they say they want to get Madison Bumgarner. And some of the reason why is because he's a local guy. He's from North Carolina. He's from Braves country. Now, I don't think that the front office needs to go and and focus on getting a guy that's necessarily from around here in a trade because it's not really up to them. It's not like they're like, oh, hell yeah, I just got traded to my hometown team. But for a guy like Smith, who's a free agent at the end of the year, this accomplishes two things. Number one, he is a local guy, and he would be probably more willing to resign for a team that he grew up rooting for. And also, there's not going to be any type of uh, massive prospect outlay because he's. this isn't going to be like an Aroldis Chapman type return because he's a free agent at the end of the year. So... I think that could be could be interesting. You plant the seed in the back of his mind. But before we got rolling on recording, you had, you had talked about getting another righty in the pen to kind of fortify, because Smith and Hand are both lefties. And you brought up Hansel Robles from the Angels. Yes, Hansel Robles is a guy. Now, I really like Greg Holland on your list, by the way. Before I dig in too much on the Hansel Robles, uh, Holland has been we – all, we all know what happened to Holland last year. It was not a good year for him. Uh, but he has been just incredible with Arizona this year. He just doesn't have that many saves because Arizona isn't in save scenarios very often. Usually if they win, it's by a fair number of runs. They usually lose close games and win blowouts. It's kind of a weird season all around for them. But Holland has been spectacular. The question is, Arizona is still kind of in the thick of things, so it's hard to tell what they're going to do with the deadline. But with Hansel Robles, you can already count the Angels out. They're not. They're not winning. Um, I'm sorry to friend of the program, uh, t- uh, Taylor Ward. Um, 
we can say that the Angels are, are out of it. They're not they're not winning. They're not going into the wild card in the AL. Um, but Hansel Robles is a guy that if you just look at his ERA, it's like in the three fours. His FIP is three one eight. But what that doesn't tell you is that four or all of those runs have come in four outings. Aside from four outings, he's been scoreless. And he's a guy that his slider is absolutely top notch, similar to Luke Jackson. Uh, he, he's got a, a really hard fastball. He's been saving games for them, and he's another guy that you could slot in as a righty and who's a, a very good righty. I was really shocked when the Mets just kind of let him go because I thought he was one of the few young guys the Mets had that actually showed some promise. And for whatever reason, they decided they didn't need him. Um, they're probably kicking themselves a little bit right now. But I, I would like a Hansel Robles because I don't think it would cost a ton to get him because – the Angels have takeaway Griffin Canning, and they have like no pitching prospects of any real substance. Jaime Berea keeps getting like publicity there, and Jaime Berea is like maybe what we thought Ricardo Sanchez might be, which is you know a, a four or a five. That's a team where like that's a guy that you could probably get for for something like a Colby Allard, where you don't have to dig deep into the super talented guys. You don't have to give up. You probably don't have to give up any position prospects. To, to get either one of these pitchers. Um, while hand is going to cost you something something expensive, something like a Kyle Wright, maybe even a little bit more, depending on uh, if Cleveland really tries to play hardball. Uh, Will Smith would probably cost you a pretty penny. I know he's, he's, not, he's a free agent after this year, but the Giants are such a weird team to deal with. They never want to admit that they're actually rebuilding. So I think they would hold out for a, a high vantage. A guy like Robles or Holland, I think those guys could be had fairly cheaply, especially Robles. No, I, th- I think you're probably right. The the thing about uh, guys like uh, Will Smith and Sam Dyson is that their reluctance to rebuild, uh, that was before Farhan Zaidi got there. And, and I don't think that he has any illusions about what that team actually is. So I think I think that they're going to wind up getting moved. I think the same thing for Bumgarner, whether it's the Yankees or whoever else. I, I don't think that he's necessarily going to wind up coming here. But... Um, I, I think for somebody like Holland, once again, it, it fills the veteran role. That's big strikeouts. His his walks are falling. Like even even if, when I uh, the article got published last week, uh, his his walk rate was in the fours, and it's already fallen, fallen, fallen to where it's under four now. So uh, a lot of the runs that he wound up giving up were in like a two or three game span, very similar to Robles. So um, so yeah, I mean the the options are going to be plentiful. I mean and and after signing Keuchel. I, th- I mean, it's obviously sent shockwave through this team, seven and zero. Still, still have not lost since Dallas Keuchel signed. So, um, those types of acquisitions and people always love to clown on Alex and microanalyze everything he says, and it's it's not completely unwarranted. But I, I think that one thing he said really stands out. Talking about midseason acquisitions, like it it gives you that push, you know, to it it sends that signal to the team that we really are trying to win here. So uh, the Keuchel acquisition has been huge, and I think that adding uh, any combination of these guys, because I, I don't think that any one of them, and I alluded to this last week, I don't think any one guy is going to be the overall answer. But you add Keuchel, you add, say you add Brad Hand or Greg Holland or whoever, that's like, all right, guys, we're set up. I mean, Braves are in first place now, and they have played, they've been four and a half games better uh, than the Phillies have been since that opening series. Phillies are coming to town this weekend. There's a chance to uh, get the kind of test and see where we are, how much we've evolved uh, since that opening series. There's been like 
36% roster turnover on the Brave side. Ever since that opening series, Phillies have been struggling a bunch. They lost Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, things are about to get serious. There's going to be a lot of division play. we got 16 games left against the Phillies, and this is the time. This is the time to start making moves. If we can put some level of beatdown on them this weekend, create a little separation, this is gigantic, dude. You know what I mean? Like, this, this is a really, really big series. Not to mention, it'll come from the three young guns. It would be Freed, Newcomb, and Soroka, I believe, would be the starting pitchers in that series, which would just be really fun to, to watch those guys be the ones to obliterate the Phillies. Um, <clears throat> we, we're running out of time, but I did want to address one thing from our buddy Boggy, and it's about Dallas Keuchel. Uh, and, and everybody knows the reason why Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell were free agents up until last week are, was because of the qualifying offer and the draft pick and money attached to signing them. Uh, so Boggy asks us if we have any ideas about fixing the whole qualifying offer scenario. Um, I've got a few ideas, but I'm going to punt this to you. I'm going to let you go first. I, I think that the easiest one, and I don't, I don't think this is necessarily something that can be implemented until they – uh, they revamped the collective bargaining agreement, which I think is slated for the end of or after the 2021 season. It's just removing removing the draft compensation. I mean, there there are other ways that a team can be compensated uh, that that is uh, that's losing a free agent without necessarily having to penalize the team that signs. Because for the amount of scouting that's going on right now and the amount of emphasis that teams are placing on the draft, it's more so than ever before. And and I mean, we just had Rob on earlier in, in the first segment talking about uh, the ability, how even scouting is kind of evolving with the way that you can do things and not having to be quite as much in person. So the options are more plentiful. The way that teams are going about it is changing. So penalizing teams who are, are really trying to build through the draft, I mean, that's, I mean, you saw the impact. You know, regardless of whether Craig Kimbrell is Craig Kimbrell of 2012 or Dallas Keuchel of 2015, I mean, these are still quality pitchers. There's not really a reason outside of that one pick for them not not to wind up signing. So it's it's kind of like a black mark on these guys. And they, they've taken steps to say, like, All right, now you can only get a qualifying offer once, which is a step. But I think that just removing that, I, I, that's going to kind of be the easiest one. And... Certain levels of, of, of what what they can do with free agency and what all it means, I think that's kind of what you're going to wind up getting into here. But there, there's got to be a way to keep it from just being like, why, why these are two of the best talents on the market. And truthfully, not having Scott Boris as an agent, I think would have helped Dallas Keuchel out a little bit because he was asking for six or seven years and 25 to $30 million per year. He's a good pitcher, but that's preposterous. So slightly reeling in the ask in a lot of cases, would help. But eliminating the, the QO process, I think that's that's the number one for me. What do you got, Dylan? I've got probably I've got three different methods that I'm just kind of throwing around the old noggin, and I haven't really thought them through, so uh, I'm going to let all of you guys be the judges. Um, the first one would be move it towards like a – make the, the QO more of a restrict like restricted free agency in basketball where uh, a, another team can – give a contract and the original team, like let's just use Keiko in this scenario, say the, they knew that Keiko was going to be a free agent. If they wanted to make him they, the restricted free agent, you can only make it to a certain number of guys. Uh, another team can give him a contract and the Astros can either 
can match that contract or exceed it. And then Keuchel can pick between the two. Uh, so so say say the Yankees had offered Keuchel 15 a year for four years. Uh, so they, they take that to the Astros. The Astros say, eh, what if we do – what if we do 17 a year for three years? So Keiko could pick between the two. Um, that, that's one idea floating around. The other one, another one would be that if a team that has a higher draft pick than the team that offers the QO, so say um, say the Astros put the QO on Keiko, if the Braves really wanted him, you swap, you swap the pick. You don't, uh, you don't take away the number 60 pick from the Braves but you swap their second rounders between the Braves and the Astros. I don't know if that one's really foolproof or not, um, but that would be one of mine. And then if, if the team that, – that one's going to be trickier because if you get a team that has a, a higher pick than you, then you obviously aren't going to want to swap. So th- there's, some intri- there's some intricacies there. Um, the third one would, would just be uh, no team – no other teams could pay – like the team with the qualifying offer could offer the most per year. So was it seventeen point nine for a qualifying offer? I believe seventeen point nine million for this year. Yeah, for this year. Okay. So say the Astros could offer Keiko seventeen point nine million on the qualifying offer. Another team could offer more years, but could not go to seventeen point nine per year. Interesting. Okay. So so more just more incentive to return to the initial team. Yeah, I mean, there'd be more incentive unless you're looking for a longer contract, obviously. Uh, but I, I agree, you can't just take the draft pick because that's that's going to hamper everything. That's something that's going to get ironed out in the CBA. But I do think there needs to be some incentive for, for the guys to remain with their teams. If you're putting a qualifying offer on a guy, then it's obvious that you want him on your team. Uh, I, I, or the whole offering a qualifying offer to a guy you know is going to leave is just a way to get yourself... Uh, to to hurt your opposition and to get yourself a comp pick, so they've they've got to do something. It's a little bit. It's it's not. I don't think it's as big a deal as say the arbitration manipulation, the service time manipulation, but it is something that is going to have to be curbed. I think that this year is going to be a big eye opener for teams. I'm trying to think of of relievers that that are going to wind up ever getting saddled with qualifying offers again. You know, it just it seems like like such a mess because you know the, the ripple here is that the the Red Sox didn't wind up getting getting a comp pick here, so there, there's that side of it to for Kimbrel. So there, there's that side of it to consider as well, and uh, and seeing what happened to Keuchel, like this, these are pretty marquee talents that are wind up lingering and they're going to miss half of the season, and also for what happened with Fernando Tatis and Pete Alonso. And just saying, like, you know what? Screw it. We don't care. We're gonna we're gonna go about this our own way now. So having two of these ideas that seem okay on paper, but these types of examples really kind of fly in the face of what they're intended for. I wonder what the ripple is going to be coming into this next season because you've already seen free agency kind of change, shifting away. I say this after two guys signed three hundred million dollar deals uh, in the off season, but the upper echelon of free agents are probably protected, but the guys in the middle uh, really are going to kind of see the landscape changing for them. So that aspect of the sport, the front office aspect, it's all changing. So the next two years, like leading up to that CBA, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I wonder, 
Um, you know, even when people start asking about Christian Pache and Drew Waters and, and could they start uh, could they start in Atlanta in, in 2020 or 2021, it's like, well, based on their ascent for certain uh, certain aspects of their game, like maybe you could see a case where where Pache and I'm kind of going off the reservation here, but like if if Pache continues uh, his good work at the plate and then he goes up to AAA and he mashes with the new ball, then there's going to be, be people clamoring for whether or not he's going to wind up starting 2020 in the outfield because when as soon as Marquez leaves, then then you've got an opening there. So that's going to when people whenever people ask, could you see a scenario where that happens? I'm thinking, well. Not to start the season, of course not, because of service time. But if if the the Braves start saying if they do what the Mets did with Alonso, or what the Padres did with Tatis, they might just say screw it and go ahead and plug him in there. So th- this is I prefer to see it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd I'd love to see it. But more than anything, I just want to see Pache show up in AAA and mash the ball because I I live like basically on the same street as Colray. So, um, but that day is coming. Christian Pache is going to wind up getting promoted. Probably pretty soon, I would guess. I mean, he almost has to. There's no way they can just keep him in AAA. Uh, but that's a topic for another show. We are definitely out of time on this episode. So final thoughts on the QO. I think it's definitely going to get changed. I don't know that there's a foolproof solution yet. Uh, if you guys have any good ideas, feel free to let us know on the uh, on the TPS Twitter page, on the Facebook messaging system, or leave a, leave a call on the TPS phone line number. Uh, if we don't have that handy doc, I'll tweet it out as well. So you guys can uh, drop a line, let us know your ideas on the QO. Uh, but want to say big thanks to uh, Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, for coming on with us today. You guys know where you can find us all over the place. Uh, we'll, we'll have this up on, on Friday. Hopefully you guys will enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed uh, recording it. And Doc, another one down. A lot of fun as always. Thanks for joining me, bud. Oh, dude, always. Uh, let's, uh, let's do this again next week. Uh, I will be... Uh, reporting from Salt Lake City, Utah next week. So, uh, yeah, if you're in the area, look for me. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll try to do that. I think Dren is out there in that area. Yeah, that's um, right. Hopefully, hopefully Doc won't be in the Hooskow for, for drinking a beer, which I hear is frowned upon in Utah. But we'll find out. It should be fun. It should be an interesting week next week for sure. But for all for those of you out there who don't really care about that and just want to listen to the show, hope you guys enjoy. We'll catch you next week right here on The Platinum Sombrero. <laughs> Nothing's gonna ever keep you down You're the best around Nothing's gonna ever keep you down You're the best around Nothing's gonna ever keep you down Do you think, Spy?